Well, we are continuing our study, understanding this conflict in Israel with uh, Israel and the Palestinians. And maybe some are still asking, you know, why are we spending so much time? Uh, it seems like we're, we've, we've gone from directly talking about Israel and the Palestinians to something entirely different. And the answer to that is, yeah. Uh, we want to be biblical. We, we want to look at, at life and things spiritually first. And in particular, w- with this issue. And, and the funny thing is, we, we all get this because all the questions that come to me and all the questions in the air, again, really transcend the events that are happening to, well, what does it mean to us? What does it mean in the future? What does it mean biblically? And so we, we as Christians, we get it that this is bigger than uh, just this uh, immediate conflict that, that we're seeing on the news every day. And so we've been studying the biblical history of the conflict of, of Israel and the Palestinians. And, and we've had to look at this from the past to have a proper understanding, the, the pa- past biblical understanding, even the past historically uh, looking into this, the the present and the present times, and and what's taken place, you know, since 1948 and and over the years, but then really, what this is about is is the future, and our proper understanding is a proper understanding of 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 looking at the future. One of the interesting things that that we can see and what this is anchored on is is really two covenants. Uh, there's the Abrahamic covenant that we've talked about a lot, the, the promise from God to Abraham, the promise of, of land, that is the, the dirt, the, the mapped area of, of Israel, the promise of the seed, that is being uh, the seed of Christ, who is going to bring redemption to all through the blood sacrifice and the, the death, burial, and resurrection of the seed. And then this amazing, beautiful packaged blessing that begins with the descendants of Abraham that will be as numerous as the stars, as numerous as sand in the sea, that also extends to the entire world. And so it includes everybody at the end of the day. And and we're definitely uh, beneficiaries of that being New Testament saints. We're, We're currently experiencing that blessing right now. On the flip side, when we look at this conflict with Israel and the Palestinians, we look at things like, well, uh, Hamas. And some of you may or may not know this, but Hamas actually, they have a covenant. They have a covenant within themselves and a covenant within the, uh, their people of, of, of what they want to accomplish, which is quite different from that of what I just explained of land, seed, you know, again, the, the, the blessing of saving people from their sins and the blessing uh, that people would have through that. Well, the Hamas covenant, which was created in 1988, uh, the second paragraph uh, includes this in writing. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it has obliterated others before. And so we have to understand that in the world, all countries, all nations are, are not morally equal. There, there's different 
uh, belief systems. This is why from the beginning, and we've been studying this, that, that God tells Israel, do not be unequally oaked with others. Why? Because others have different gods, other religions. And so we see this and we understand this, but again, our news media or politicians are, are constantly trying to get us to be, you know, united. You, well, united around what? Well, united around nothing uh, or everything. And, and being united around everything means nothing. And, and we know that's not true because they say everything. But the second you stand up as a, as a Christian and want to voice your biblical beliefs, well, they don't want that viewpoint. Um, and so those are really just... The, the collective is really just, just a lie, and, and all countries are not morally equal. We, we, we saw this with Sir Livingston from Great Britain when he was in the African countries, and, you know, and he'd go to one village, and it was love thy neighbor. Beautiful. Great culture. And he'd walk into another village, and it was eat thy neighbor. <laughs> well, those two cultures are not morally equal. Those two cultures can't coexist as the sticker says right um, well that's kind of the dilemma that we're at today and, and this is why it has to be one way and so we have the one way we have the biblical way and so that's how we've been addressing this issue and and understanding the realities and the bigger bigger picture of what this issue means and so today we're going to look at this is part six of our little biblical history and in part six, we're looking at Jesus's overview of the end of the age, because that's really what's on everybody's mind, right? How is this thing ending? What, what does this mean spiritually? So we want to look at how, how or what Jesus's overview of the end of the age is in six ways. And we see this so beautifully laid out in Matthew 24. We see the official birth pains. Second, we see the ultimate abomination. Third, we're, we're going to see an overview of the great tribulation. Fourth, the false Christs and false prophets. Fifth, the Son of Man will return. And then finally, the sixth overview we're going to see from Jesus is the gathering of the elect. The gathering of the elect. Well, turning back to Matthew 24, beginning in verse... Sorry. Continuing in Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. And so as we, again, try to get our arms wrapped around the, the future of this um, Israel and Palestinian conflict. When we try to get our arms wrapped around, okay, where is this all leading? Wouldn't it be great if we could just ask Jesus? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome? And yet here we are in Matthew 24, and, and that very question is raised. And the disciples Ask Jesus really kind of two questions, or, or Jesus makes this something about the temple um, being torn down, and, and then the disciples 
ask him about, well, what about the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they kind of skip past the temple being torn down and ask them a future question. And so Jesus goes directly into answering the coming of him and the end of the age. And Jesus begins by saying to them, be careful that nobody misleads you. The presupposition there is going to be, there will be those who will mislead you. Verse five, many, not just one, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead you. Well, now that's pretty interesting because what we see here is that there will be those who will come directly to, to mislead and in particular who Christ is. Remember, Christ is not Jesus's last name, right? Jesus Christ, that's his title. His title being the Messiah, his title being the God King. And so Jesus says clear to them, look, uh, make sure that no one's misleading you for many are going to come and, and mislead in the teaching of who Christ is. And, and many are going to be misled. Well, Jesus is going to go into his answer here. And this is what's really cool. When we talk about the end of the age, this is the most detailed chapter that we have in all of scripture. We, we, we see the, the um, proclaiming of end times. We see it in the major prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, right? We, we, we see it in the minor prophets, um, all sprinkled throughout there. And, and we see kind of a, 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 a puzzle that's been tipped over. And then you just see like, kind of the starting pieces of that puzzle. If you're, you know, Amos, Zechariah, Malachi, Isaiah, right? And, and Ezekiel, and you see these pieces or these Bible verses of, of okay, this is what's going to happen at the end. But you don't really see a full puzzle. You don't really see it all together in one place. And, and you don't see it all together in one place here either. But what you see all together in one place is the most detailed summary of what's going to happen at the end. And it's from no other than Jesus himself. Um, that should give us great encouragement. Well, here's some things that we need to understand though. One is that th we have a history of allegory. We have a history of biblical interpretation. We have a history of conjecture, right? People earnestly, honestly trying to put it all together. Um, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. The problem is we also have a lot of errors and confusion, and we'll talk about this more next week. But, but by definition, we know I mean, we have like three major views of what happens at, at the end, three major ones and a bunch of little ones. So right away, we already have a lot of confusion. Keep in mind that when people write books and predict when Jesus is coming back and when they're wrong. Well, the Old Testament has a, a cute little name for them called false prophets and they stoned them in, in the, you know, early Christianity, they would call them heretics. 
Today, we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, oh, I guess they were a little wrong. But I believe them, you know, for the other 255 pages of their book, I believe everything, even though they got the big picture wrong. Almost all the Enview books that, that and, and theologies that I've read, all of them have had their guy, and their guy predicts an, an end, and they've all been wrong. So that should be an indicator for us to, as Jesus says, See to it that no one misleads you. That should direct us back to the scripture. Well, what does scripture say? And here we have the, the most dot to dot uh, example of that. The other thing I want to point out is in jumping forward in Matthew uh, 24, uh, 20, uh, 24, 35. Jesus says, as, as he's continuing and he's talking in, in the parable of the fig tree, but he, but he throws this out. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Okay, Jesus is at, at the end of this conversation and as he's continuing to talk to the disciples, he, he wants to set from, look, my word is true. My word will never pass away. Verse 36, he kind of gets to this question, but on that day, and our no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the son but the father alone so question why do we have man written books that have predictions of when jesus is coming back when jesus clearly says himself nobody knows i don't know angels don't know um may i suggest that there's some human arrogance involved here and we should be cautious about this it's one thing to try to answer the question it's another thing to boldly say this is it and by the way write books and get the popularity of it and by the way get the financial benefit of it as well uh, these are dangerous things acts 1 says the first account i composed theophilus about all that jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had been taken by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, and you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit." Not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? Is this it? Is this the end? And again, Jesus says in verse 7, or uh, Luke says in verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So before we even move any further in this, it is not for you to know the time and epics and not even the angels or the father know. So we, we, we need to understand that before we take one more step forward, that there is going to be some challenging questions and, and there will be, and we'll look at, more of the challenging questions next week. This week, we're going to look at Matthew 24. We're going to look at what Jesus says, which I think is a great start, a place for us to start. So the first overview from Jesus, uh, verse 5, 
is the official birth pains. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that, that you are not frightened. There should be no fear with end times discussions. For those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at, the, at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. So what do we see here in the, the birth pangs? What are the, 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 the pangs? What are the, the markers of the end of the age? What are those things that, ow, that we can feel, that sting, that we can see they're going to be like, when we see these things, then we know. Well, the first one is the misleaders. We're going to see those who not only mislead and are false teachers, but also uh, have that, that element of the Christ. I am the Christ, proclaiming themselves to be like Jesus, like the Messiah, like the King, like the, the God-man. And so we're, we're, that's one of our markers, looking for that person that we, we see in the book of Revelations, which is actually the Antichrist, the false prophet. But there will be other ones. There will be henchmen. There will be birth pangs. There will be many ones even before the ultimate. Well, the second uh, marker we're going to see are these, these wars and rumors of wars. Well, nations rising against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. Well, the hard thing there is, well, we always see wars and rumors of wars and nations against nations. And so, you know, we're trying to get our minds wrapped around, well, from, from other parts in scripture, what do we know about the end times? Well, we know there's a certain region in the world that is, that is, clearly indicated throughout scripture, that region mainly being the Middle East or being Israel. And then we start to see other regions to the east. We see other regions to the north. We see other regions to the south. And so when we see things like Russia and Ukraine, well, we start to get a little twitchy, right? Because we start to think about, well, Gog and Magog and things like Ezekiel uh, 38, except that the timeline doesn't really fit from anything that we see in Revelation or Matthew 24. So again, we're still looking for just birth pangs. Well, uh, Ukraine and Russian conflict certainly uh, looks like a birth pang or a, or a pre-birth um, issue, but we don't know that that's the ultimate coming of the end of the age. Well, the third marker that we see is many famines and, and earthquakes many famines and earthquakes. And so there's going to be, again, we, we have 
earthquakes, random earthquakes. We've always had them. But, but this is going to be an, an escalation of famines and earthquakes. And we don't really have famines. And there's nothing here that suggests that famines is some kind of allegory for something else. Um, God is perfectly willing to uh, have famine on the earth, literal famine, where people don't get rain, don't get enough sun, crops don't grow, and people starve. That's our traditional understanding of famine. So we're, we're supposed to see famines. Uh, the fourth marker that we see in, in this passage is verse 12. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's level will go cold. Now, isn't that interesting? See, we, we, we keep getting all hyped up about wars, rumors of wars, right? Which there's always wars and rumors of wars. There's always wars and rumors of wars with Israel. So I don't know how we mark that at all. But now here's something that is actually very unique, which is lawlessness is increased. Now, people have always been breakers of the law. But, but may I suggest that we're entering into a, an entirely different new realm, especially in America where our, our law enforcers, police, don't enforce the law. Where our law enforcers, FBI, right, CIA, where they're involved in either not fulfilling, um, obeying the law, being part of disobeying the law, cover-up scams, scandals, uh, we're seeing law, an increase of lawlessness from our officials who are supposed to be upholding the law. That's different. That was one of the things that really set us apart as Americans is we could hold up the Constitution and say, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, Republican or Democrat, the Constitution reigns supreme. I don't care what side of the aisle we're on. We have laws, we have courts, we have judges. The law reigns supreme. And what we're seeing now is an escalation of lawlessness. Not only in that, but we see because of our law enforcers, we see an escalation in people that I guess think looting is just okay and acceptable. Uh, we see, you know, copper being taken, I mean, that was a crazy thing where you would see copper being taken from power lines in, you know, South Africa. Now it's happening in my neighborhood. Um, that's odd and different and an escalation. You can go into parking lots now in the nice neighborhoods and see cameras, wire cameras there. They're not there because they're not committing crimes. I was in a Lowe's a couple months ago and they had a little R2-D2, a, a roving robot that was you know, taking video because crime is up so much. We, we, have, a, a, we, we have riots on our streets. There's no law enforcement. There's law breaking, no law enforcements. We are seeing an increase of lawlessness. And the fifth marker, which is even fright, more frightening because the lawless increasing in the world shouldn't be a surprise, right? Sin or sin. That shouldn't be a surprise. But most people's love will grow cold. That's, that's a scary piece. The love will grow cold. Not, not just people's love and community, right? We, we hate each other. We, everybody's at odds. But we see this within the church. 
We see a, remember in Revelation, the, the, the Bible describes the church as being lukewarm, right? Lukewarm, where, where God spews you out of your mouth. How about cold? Just dead cold, a dead cold church. Are, are we seeing that? Well, when the church is cold to the word, and we preached on this this summer when the, the church is following social justice and progressive um, new norms and, and political issues. Well, then I would say that the church has also grown cold. Well, one of the big questions that we have to ask ourselves as we look at these markers or these birth pangs is, when we take, when we look at the next verse, it says verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. What do you mean the end? Um, well, let's back up a second. Verse nine, uh, there's verse eight, but all these things are merely birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. Who's you? And will kill you. Who's you? And you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. Who is you? We, we need to understand who you is. is. Is you the 12 disciples? That's who's asking the question here, right? The 12 disciples are asking Jesus, hey, what's going to happen at the end of the age? And so Jesus is going down and, and answering them. And, and what we see quite often, especially with Jesus, especially with prophecy, is a direct question that relates to the now, meaning his day and age, directly to the disciples and the future. So that becomes a little difficult and confusing. So we want to know, is Jesus talking to the 12 disciples? Well, that can't be because he's talking about the future. He's talking about the end. He's talking about tribulation. So who's the you? Non-believers? Is he, is he address? No, Christ doesn't address non-believers in scripture. He's addressing believers. So then they will deliver believers to tribulation and will kill believers and Believers will be hated by all the nations. Why would you hate believers? Because of the name of Christ. Why would you be killed? Because you're in Christ. And at that time, many will fall away. Who falls away? Not non-believers. Non-believers don't fall away. They're not in. The only ones who could potentially fall away are believers and be delivered up. Be delivered up one another and hate one another. Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So these are all the birth pangs of what happens at the end. But we see some promise, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. So there's salvation for endurance. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nation and then the end shall come so what we see here now from verse 5 to verse 14 
is Jesus says, okay, here's some birth pangs. And then he gives this little summary of kind of the whole picture. Here, here's the birth pangs. This is what's going to happen. Here are the five markers, the misleaders, the, the wars, the lawlessness, the love growing cold, um, believers being delivered. They're being killing and hating and, and delivering up. And then at the end, there's going to be salvation for those who endure. Okay, that's the first overview that Jesus gives, gives us of these birth pangs. Well, what's the second overview that we see? What's the next step? Verse 15. Therefore, we see a, 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 a reset here. Let's, let's get back in the timeline. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is under the, on the housetop not go down to get the things out that are in his house. And let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. And woe to those who are with child and those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath or on the Sabbath. Well, what do we see here? Here's the, 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 the step that's leading us into tribulation. We've got birth pangs. Now we see, okay, here's, here's the, the baby's heads coming out, right? When you see the abomination of desolation. When you see the abomination of desolation. Daniel, turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Because what is that? Okay, this, this is supposed to take place. Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 26. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. And its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out. And the one who makes desolate, there is going to be this event. There's going to be this person who is going to make covenant with Israel is going to make sacrifices, stop uh, biblical sacrifices, begin defiled sacrifices. And it's in this time frame that, that Daniel describes in the 70 weeks. I'm going to summarize real quick. We, we see that there's going to be a future ruler who will make a treaty with Israel. We're going to see that's going to be a, a, a period, a time period. And in, in Daniel 9, we, we, we know and understand this period to be a, a, a seven-year period because it gives us the days, right? Period of seven years. But midway, this, this ruler, this, this Antichrist is going to be, this, this person is going to offer in the temple. And again, we'll talk more about this next week. This is just an overview. And this ruler is going to desecrate the temple of God with a sacrilegious sacrifice, with a sacrilegious 
uh, ceremony. And, and this desecration is going to continue until the end of the tribulation, until the end of God's judgment. So when you see that happen, that's when you know, game on. That's when you know, when you see the abomination, there's birth pangs first, and then this abomination um, clearly to be seen. So that's the sixth marker. Now, we also see that there's a, a description here of, well, when you're in Judea, right? Where, where is this taking place? Well, in Judea specifically. Um, and then we have a better picture or a bigger picture of this is going to be a bad time. Wherever you are, flee to the mountains, go to safety. Go to safety. Um, verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation. So once you see the abomination of desolation, then there will be a great tribulation. Not before, not after. Such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. Why is that statement important? Well, because there's other passages in scripture that talk about words like tribulation and wrath, and, and they're not so clear on, was well, it the tribulation, the seven year tribulation, or a time of trial or a time of wrath? And so this very clearly lets us know in verse 21, the great tribulation, right? This is the one, this is the one that we are, are all concerned about. This is the one that we're talking about. This is the one from the book of Revelation. Well, um, <clears throat> the third overview that we see from Jesus um, is the actual great tribulation itself. Verse 21, uh, verse 20, but pray that your flight may not be in the winter or in the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. So one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is we see the, the believers, we see the elect in the birth pains, verse nine, they will be delivered to tribulation. They will be killed. They will be hated. Uh, we see that there will be salvation during this time. We see that there's a call in verse 20 to, for the, the people who are involved in the birth pains, involved in the, in the uh, that are around during the abomination of desolation, to, to pray. So only believers pray, right? And then now we see here's the great tribulation. It's not a trial. No one before or ever after has ever seen anything like this. Now remember, the Israelites have been in. Egyptian slavery and oppression from Philistines, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Romans, World War II. I mean, Israel has seen some pretty bad things, but this beats them all. And then we see this phrase, um, and unless those days um, had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Everybody would die unless God just called it. But for the sake of the elect, 
those days will be cut short. Now, the question we have here at this point is, well, um, who are the elect? Are the elect Christians who are going into tribulation or people who are elect and Christians who became Christians in tribulation? Well, so far, there's nothing to suggest that they're not just Christians who went into tribulation. We haven't seen any rapture or anything like that. And so we move on. The fourth overview from Jesus. The fourth overview from Jesus in his time frame and his step by step is the false Christ and false prophets. Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ or there he is. Don't believe him. For false Christs, plural, and false prophets, plural, will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead. There's going to be some radical, unbelievable events that happen during this time frame, during this tribulation. Many false Christs, that means people who they think this is the Messiah, and prophets, false teachers, and they're going to do amazing things. This is one of the reasons why, and I, and I don't mean this as a, as a put down to our charismatic brothers and sisters, but I do say it as a warning because just because you see a great sign and a wonder, that doesn't mean it's of God. And so we have to be very cautious with signs and wonders. They have to be biblical. They, they, they have to be uh, done in the way that scripture lays them out. Why? Because they're so great. They're so amazing. They're so convincing that if it is possible, even the elect, even the elect would fall for it. Verse 25, behold, I have told you in advance. If therefore they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, don't go forth. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe him. Don't believe him. Don't believe it. For just as the lightning comes from the east and the flashes from the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You're not going to mistake the coming of the Son of Man. You're not going to miss it. Is, is what's being stated here. But what we see here in this fourth overview from Jesus <coughs> is there's going to be false Christs and false prophets that are going to be uh, during the tribulation. And there's going to be believers that are going to be there. And even believers, the elect, can be fooled by them. So we have to be diligent about not being misled. This is why we constantly teach about false prophets, false teaching, and that we've got to be biblical because that's our only bearing for truth is scripture. And if it's not in scripture, then we have to challenge and question it just like the Bereans. So there's a clear warning here for believers against fake teachers, against fake Christianity, against fake churches. Well, the fifth overview that we see from Jesus is the son of man returns verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation 
of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Immediately after the tribulation, we see that the Son of Man is going to return. Acts 2 addresses this. Turn with me to Acts 2, verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, this is quoting, this is Acts 2, but actually quoting Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even upon my bond slaves both men and women i will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy and i will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. Before the great and glorious day of the Lord, Lord shall come and it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. The son of man is going to return. This is the great promise that we see throughout the minor prophets, where I just said we saw it in, in, in Joel. Joel 2.10 is what that's quoting. It's the day of the Lord, the sun and the moon darkened. Isaiah 13.10, the day of the Lord is coming. He's going to punish the world. Fury with a burning anger. This is when God finally comes for victory. In that day, Amos, Amos 8.9. Amos 5.20, the day of the Lord, Zephaniah 1.15, the judgment of the Lord, a day of trumpet and wrath. Trumpet and wrath, Isaiah 34.4 says it's when the sky is rolled back. This is the coming of the Son of Man. When does it happen? Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation, after the tribulation. Well, the sixth and final overview that we see Jesus give in chapter 24, verse 31. And then, so after tribulation, after the Son of Man coming, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the end of the sky to the other. A great trumpet, the Son of Man gathers his elect. What do we see happening here? What is, what is this gathering of the elect? Well, we see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 52. 1 Corinthians described this as the rapture. Not all will sleep. The dead will rise with the last trumpet that they will precede those who sleep. The trumpet of God will come. The Lord will descend and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are alive are going to be caught up and we see this in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. 
Well, this is a review and a summary and an overview of Jesus answering the question that his disciples ask him, when are you coming? When is the end of the age? And this is the most detailed answer we get in all of scripture from Jesus directly to his disciples. And this is the layout. First, birth pangs. Second, the abomination of desolation. Third, tribulation. Fourth, false Christ and false prophets. Fifth, the Son of Man returning. And then the gathering of the elect. Now, I know for some of you who've looked at this and studied this, this is not the answer that you've maybe grown up with or the, the, the layout. And we'll, we'll continue this next week and, and address some of those, some of those um, questions. This is one of the issues that I've been studying for years. And really one of the main reasons why I even went to seminary was to get my arms wrapped around this. It is confusing. It is difficult because when we go into revelation, it takes the totality of all of scripture to really understand the book of revelation. But we have to understand a couple rules of interpretation. There are rules of biblical interpretation. And one of those rules is, you know, we don't just pick and choose what we want from selective scripture. And, 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 and I will say it this way, all, all, and I mean all, all books that I have read on end times from all major theological uh, denominations and, and leaders and everybody knows in this room, all of them divert and take conjecture um, liberties. The reason why is because first and foremost, they belong to their denomination. They belong to their seminary, which is another name for denomination because a pastor's job is contingent upon the denomination, upon his seminary and what their belief is. And quite frankly, um, you're either in the club or you're not. We're called in scripture to be biblical. We're called to be Bereans, to study, to see if it's so. There are going to be passages in scripture that, that we do not get and understand. God tells us you won't. By the way, if you could figure out God and outsmart God and outthink God, what does that say about God? Then that means... Truly that man did just create God and God's in this little box, but you know, his ways are unsearchable and unfathomable. We can't, we can read the story and the outline and, and, and what God has laid out and still not understand it because he is sovereign. He's in control. And so we have to humble ourselves and say, look, I don't know all the answer. I don't know the time and the place. Just like Jesus said, by the way, I, I feel like I'm in good standing. I don't know the epic of time, just like scripture says. So 
as best as I can lay it out, this is what we see. This is the layout. And by the way, when we go to Revelation and we ask those questions, those burning questions, show me where the rapture is in the book of Revelation chapter and verse. The reason why we're fighting over it is because we don't have a chapter and verse. That's why great theologians have debate because it's tricky. Um, when exactly do we see what page in, in Revelation do we see the abomination and desolate? We, we, we don't see a chapter and a page. We see things that we believe might be, but I'm here to tell you that really wise and smart and godly people have different views. Wise and godly people, brothers in Christ, brothers in Christ. I'm not talking about false teachers or I'm, I'm talking about good Christian Bible scholars, good Christian denominations, good Christian seminaries have different views on this subject. So we have to take our cues from, from what scripture says. And here's what Jesus says to us. And here's what Jesus says to the disciples. And, and one of the big key takeaways for us is be ready, be ready, be on alert. And, and, and that's what we're going to look at in the next couple weeks. We're going to look at now applying this, asking some of those other questions, because we do have questions, but anchoring in on, look, we're called to be alert. We're, we're called to be you know, soldiers from, from Ephesians six, right? We're called to have our armor and be ready to go whichever way that this kind of floats. And I want to encourage you with this. Second Peter two, nine says this, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. The Lord knew how to rescue the babies in, in Egypt. The Lord knew how to rescue the babies that were in Jesus's day. The Lord knew how to rescue the nation of Israel when they were in Persia, when they were in Babylonia. The Lord knew how to rescue and knows how to rescue. Unfortunately, the church, God's people do not get a pass on suffering. And that's the biggest thing that I hear with what's going on with Israel. What is this? Where is it going? Where is it leading? And it really is the biggest thing I see with, this is what drives my biblical interpretation. I don't want to suffer. I definitely don't want my kids to suffer. Well, unfortunately, that's not hermeneutics. That's not what drives us that we, we know that there is suffering. Sin is in the world. There's suffering, there's death, there will be blood. But God knows how to rescue the godly. And I don't know what that means uh, exactly in the pre-labor, in the birth pang time period, or the tribulation for believers. The, in all three of those categories, there's going to be suffering. Um, and believers may be in one of those three categories or all three, there will be suffering. 
but we're in Christ and Christ knows how, how to rescue the godly. And so we need to make sure that we're ready and right. Be ready and be right. Be ready and be right. So next week we'll look at how to be alert and we'll look at some of these challenges. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for warning us. Thank you for giving us the, the markers so that we're not in the dark, so that we can be aware of what needs to take place. Lord, you sovereignly, lovingly, um, laid out scripture in a way as to be mysterious, as to be um, questionable for us. There, there's wisdom in how you've instructed us. Help us to humble ourselves before your word. Help us to humble ourselves in, in, in knowing that knowing every single date and every single twist and turn is not what you intended for us. If it was, you had the perfect capability in Matthew 24 to take the next step and give us even more details. And the beauty of scripture is you do take the next step in the next verses, in the next chapter. And your proclamation to us is like the fig tree, like the, the, the virgins, like the talents, to be ready. And so, Lord, we want to be ready. Thank you for sending Christ to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Thank you for grafting us into the tree of life. Lord, thank you for the history, the biblical history and, and, and the, the history of Israel. And Lord, we pray for Israel. We pray that they would bow the knee before the throne of God and repent and, and follow you. And we pray for Palestinians that they would do the same because that's the only pathway to peace. And so, Lord, at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat. We all are relying on your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we just pray that you give us the faith to follow. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.